Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and happy Thanksgiving whenever you are listening to this uh, this weekend, if that is the case. And um, hey, speaking of Thanksgiving, now let's talk about Christmas. We need to get a Christmas card from you. For those of you who've been around for a while, you know that we love to get Christmas cards from our fans. And then what we do is we actually pray for you by name when we receive your card. So your card is going to go up on an awesome little cardboard uh, that we have where we put all our cards up and then we will divvy them up between the team and pray for you so send your card like ASAP because hello we're like heading into December here so mail times yo Uh, send it to boundless team in care of focus on the family 8605 explorer drive Colorado Springs Colorado 80920 All right. Well, later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's been told by past boyfriends that the skills which make her good at work have hurt her in dating. And is this bogus or something she should actually take to heart? Well, one of our counselors will offer some thoughts on that. And then for our culture segment, Pastor Daniel Grothy is here to discuss ways to find stability and a sense of place as an adult. Based on his new book, The Power of Place, uh, this is going to be part one of that discussion, so don't miss it. Okay, here we are for our roundtable. And at the table today, we only have ladies because this is part one of a two-part discussion on healthy friendships with people of the opposite gender. So um, so the ladies are going to be talking about, you guessed it, friendships with guys. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll all be weighing in on this. And so uh, very fun. I get to welcome Annie and Kristen and Laura. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hey All right. Well, very good. So let's kind of kick this off because I think, you know, most people, if they've been around Boundless for a while, know that we talk about this and that we don't just like have open season on friendships with the opposite sex. (laughs) Or maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm the one that's like the grandma, like, don't get too close, whatever. But (laughs) anyway... um, You know, and for anyone who's been around forever and ever, you know that one of the great classic rom-coms is When Harry Met Sally. I think that's from the 80s. I don't know. But anyway, the whole premise of the movie is that men and women cannot be friends because feelings inevitably get in the way. So I don't know if we have to posit that as some kind of a theory here or what. But I would say, let's just talk in general to kick it off here about, would you say that you've had, like, how, how have you done in the realm of friendships with guys like have you had guy friends has it been awkward has it ever you know <laughs> has it ever turned into anything else I mean Laura maybe you could speak to that <laughs> co-workers I don't know why you're anyway uh, <laughs> pulling me out <laughs> I know I know I know but you guys can all weigh in just on how you've done in this area so I used to think that I was good at being friends with guys. I had a lot of guy friends. I work and went to school in a male-dominated field, and so I was surrounded by guys and not, you know, pursuing anything romantically in that field. But after I moved to Colorado, every guy who I thought was just a friend eventually ended up asking me out. So apparently I was giving off some vibes (laughs) that I wasn't aware of. Um, But to your point earlier, there was one 
person who is a friend who is now more than a friend. Yeah. It's my husband. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it helps that you were in a, are in oh. a male-dominated field because, I mean, not only are you great, but then it's just like guys look around and they're like, well, here's a girl to ask out. <laughs> so yeah. ladies, take note. This might be helpful to you in the future. It, it definitely mm. makes a difference. Okay. You know, Good especially point. in college. Good point with that. Okay. Kristen, how about you? Um, I grew up in between two brothers, and I had an older sister, but she was four years older than me. So I feel like any time my siblings' friends would come over, I would always hang out with the guys because they were closer to my age. So I grew up with a lot of guys, and I felt like I was really good at being friends with them. I don't know if that still holds true. But um, I think culture plays a lot into it, actually, of the state that you're living in because I've lived in three different states now, and my friendships with the opposite gender <laughs> have looked really different in each of them. So... Okay. Yeah. So kind of, yeah, kind of a mixed bag. How about you, Annie? Yeah, I also, I grew up with 10 boy cousins. Wow. So a lot of just guys all the time around in my life. <laughs> so I think, I think I have a, I have a good amount of guy friends that we both mutually know that we wouldn't date each other, but it's mostly like in group settings of, mm-hmm. it's not just me and them. It's like, intimate but it's like oh we're hanging out with like a big group of us so it's not like super intentional mm-hmm. okay well that's a good point and that's kind of where I want to go next because I think you know a lot of these friendships develop without you know it's not like everyone sits down and is like let's have a little family gathering here and talk about what this is going to look like and what are the rules <laughs> of engagement and how do we it kind of like these things tend to just happen and then either it ends up being pretty chill and pretty cool or it gets super weird pretty fast. And so how do you know the difference? I mean, I think doing, like you said, the group thing is good. But to that point, I've been in weird group things where it ended up being the same group and all we did was hang out. And then it was kind of like, you know, I've said this before on The Boundless Show, I was with a group of uh, girlfriends who we had to collectively like break up with this group of guy friends because we just did everything together. And it was like the guys weren't asking us out, but then no other guys were asking us out because they just figured we were dating these guys. And so it was all (laughs) weird. And so we had to have a breakup from non-relationships about that. But I don't know. Have you guys ever been in stuff where it gets a little bit murky? What do you mean by murky? (laughs) Like where maybe people like trending towards what we call here at Boundless, maybe the friend relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden people are wanting something more, but it's like, no, we're just friends, whatever. Yeah. So I had some friends a couple years back that we would all hang out together. And as per the usual, it was me and a group of all guys. And I thought it was just friends. That was all I was intending to do. But then one of the guys came up to me and apologized that we hadn't been on a date yet. And he told me he would take me out when he got a job and he was applying. And I was like, no, we haven't been on a date yet because we're not dating. And we never talked about this. It's a lot of pressure. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, I've been in situations where it gets murky. Okay. Well, I love how he was planning ahead. Like when he, he got a job, he, he was, was going to take you so out. He was so hard. Okay. Well, that's good. I appreciate the, the initiative. That's good. I think there's definitely been some instances where... I think I just get really comfortable with people and that comfortableness may also look like flirtiness to some guys. And so I've definitely had to draw myself back and be like, oh, no, Annie, you can't do that. (laughs) And definitely see uh, how there's a difference between guy friends and girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And there's been a few instances with some of my guy friends where I'm like, oh, man, I just really love you as a brother in Christ. And they're like, well, I love you as a sister in Christ and maybe even a little bit more. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's good. Um, Yes, I think that there have been a few instances where 
Mm-hmm. Where I think that somebody's interested in me, but they haven't been vocal about it, and I don't like that. And so I've had to call them out. And one time I was like, okay, maybe let's let's revisit this conversation. And the other time I just had to say, no, I'm sorry, I have no idea where you got this idea. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a little awkward sometimes where I just wanted to be your friend. I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. (laughs) Well, so maybe we need to put some clarity on this because I think if there's one thing that guys like, it's clarity. And it's being, you know, I always say this when I talk about breakups, that when you break up with a guy, you need to say, we are breaking up. I am no longer going to date you. (laughs) I mean, you have to, and no women like this because they think it sounds so harsh and it's horrifying. And it is, but they, they just appreciate the clarity and the honesty. So let's talk about what... When you're talking about a friendship with a guy, how does that look different than a friendship with a fellow female? Like, what what are we talking as far as the parameters? I mean, obviously, groups are helpful, but what are you and what aren't you doing with this guy, saying to this guy, all that kind of stuff? I think we need to spell some things out. I think one big thing for me is most of my guy friends, um, actually, all of my guy friends, it's very surface level conversations. Mm-hmm. It's not spiritual depthness of giving them like, not like giving over my emotional purity to them because some things are me and God and me and my sisters in Christ that are walking through this season together. And I think a little bit is just not giving a guy all about all my details of my life because I think that is really intimate of me. And so the conversations I have with my guy friends are very much oh, sports, weather, or like hanging out, doing fun stuff like that, or maybe even like deep theological debates sometimes, but it's never anything super personal and like super intimate about my own personal life hmm. with them. Yeah, that's a, that's a good parameter. Okay. I echo what Annie says, but also I think um, where, when, and why I hang out with people or like text them and so I have a lot of specific boundaries for myself of like oh I don't really text guys after this time or I don't hang out with guys one-on-one um just things like that to make sure that I'm guarding my heart and also I'm guarding theirs not that I'm assuming interest either way but just for purity's sake like you said Annie just to make sure that anything I can do to not lead on or to not give the wrong impression I'm doing Mm -hmm. or to not cause myself to think that they are Mm-hmm. towards me yeah. that mm-hmm. sentence made sense yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah and if you're hanging out one-on-one a lot it even if you didn't have that intention in the beginning it gives opportunity for people to start thinking it's going a different way and if that doesn't happen for both of you it can be uncomfortable but also like you mentioned earlier if you're hanging out one-on-one with this guy all the time and you are hoping other guys are going to ask you out <laughs> it's probably not going to happen because they think something's going on between you and your guy friend yeah mm-hmm. that's good yeah it almost seems to me that it's super helpful if we realize that you know again i i always say think of this person as a brother in christ and nothing more and i think on that level then guys should be treated you know somewhat equally in the sense of if you start singling one guy out or he becomes more of a buddy to you than other guys or you're spending more time with him that can be super confusing I think Mm -hmm. to guys as well as to other guys and to women and stuff and so it's kind of that like how are we keeping that level of like all things being equal in that sense which I think is is helpful Um, but I will say um, you know, for me, I guess I didn't answer the first question and I'll, I'll do that here. I always have been one of those like, you know, on the 
MBTI, I'm super high thinker. And so like, I think guys are like, Oh, good, I can talk to you and stuff, because I'll think like a guy in a lot of things. But um, at the same time, I think I also have to be very careful of not getting too buddy buddy, you know, of being like, Oh, yeah, well, I can talk, you know, about this with you and, and whatever. Now I will have, I, there are a couple guy friends that I have who have helped me out with stuff, you know, which I find very great. I have one guy friend who is just like kills it with technology. And I am like, every time I need to buy a laptop, I'm just like, just tell me what to buy, dude. Just tell me. <laughs> Cause I mean, I know I so trust his opinion and stuff. And I think that can be affirming of guys without being like, and get into all my personal business while we're at it, you know? So mm-hmm. I think there are ways of, of doing that. Um, okay. So how okay maybe Laura you can speak to this because you're married how did friendships with other men or even interactions with other men have to change after you got married they actually got a lot easier for me because that wondering and that questioning like do you think I'm giving you these signals are you giving me signals it all went away because I'm married now and all of my guy friends are also great friends with my husband Mm -hmm. and so that's there but also I have asked my husband not to put me in a position where I have to ride in the car alone with one of them or something. Mm-hmm. Not that it's really a problem for either side of that. It just doesn't feel quite right. Mm-hmm. And so I have tried to put more boundaries on it. But yeah, it, I, I've enjoyed having guy friends more after I got married. Yeah, that is good. And I would say, I mean, that applies to, you know, even as someone who's single, like for me, I notice it a lot with like married guys, like whether it's guys that I work with or guys from church or whatever, I will never get into like an extended text trail or something with mm-hmm. another guy, whether he's married or single, quite frankly, um, without having someone else in the mix mm-hmm. or whatever, because mm-hmm. I just don't want that to go down a road that gets weird or where there are assumptions made and stuff. And I think that's just a good boundary to have. Because, yeah. you know, we hear stories of people like it happens on social media where all of a sudden people People are in one another's business and you get into weird emotional affairs and more and stuff and people never think it's going to happen to them. And then it does. So it just gets wacky. Um, Okay, well, let's talk about kind of the the group dynamic situation of like, say, a guy coming into church, like what's the what would you say, you know, generally speaking on behalf of ladies is the impression of women who you know, new guy in church, is he scouting women out? Is he just trying to be friends? How do you, do you just play dumb? Do you act <laughs> like how, I mean, it's, it feels like we can just never be normal about this stuff. There always has to be some element of like, let's figure this out and try to go down this path. But I don't know, how do you navigate that? And what would be your advice to guys in doing that? In every instance, I just assume friendship. And that's my assumption, unless it's made clear otherwise, or I call them out because it's not clear. Um, and so mm. I, I think that the safest way to do it is just say, I'm here to build community, to meet friends. And if I find a spouse while I'm at it, awesome. But I think walking into any situation and saying, I'm never going to date anybody here, or I'm going to date somebody here. I just think that that's maybe unhealthy or foolish. I don't know if either of those words are too strong, but I think if you walk into a situation, any social situation and say, I'm here to build friendship and to build community and to build up the body of Christ. And that's, I think that's a really good perspective to have walking into any situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with, with Kristen. I've just, we went to the same church together in college and it was just interesting because it's just a huge group of college people. And so when someone new walks in 
everyone wants to be welcoming in the body mm-hmm. and um you just want like want to you know be a member of the church and say like hey we're so glad that you're here we're like loving to have you and just like really welcome them into the family but sometimes i do this a few times with like some guys if i'm like a friend with a guy and a new guy comes to church i'm like oh I'm like, there's a new guy here at church. Like, go say something to Uh him. Yeah. (laughs) And it kind of puts it off of me of Mm -hmm. just saying, like, I want them to have, like, a body of Christ. Mm -hmm. I want them to have men in their life. Or even if I invite a guy friend to church that, like, oh, I go to class with. Oh, I see just around work or whatever. I make it a point to have my guy friends with me or, like, have guys that I know are married or in relationships go and reach out to them because it gives them a sense of more community rather than just relying on me for Mm -hmm. being involved in the church Mm -hmm. in that sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Very good. Um, It makes me think of kind of the the awkwardness again, because I I think sometimes, and not that people intend to do this, especially Christians, but I think people can end up feeling used in relationships a little bit because, you know, you might show up somewhere and, you know, women will feel like they'll be very inviting or they'll be hospitable and then guys come and hang out with them and stuff. And then they're just like, okay, is this just because I like baked cookies again? You know, and, <laughs> and like guys too, you know, that sometimes they'll feel like all of a sudden, you know, it's like the girl that they like is like interested in their friend or something. And so again, I think there's so much clarity needed in that. Um, So to that point, I know that one fear that guys have, and maybe uh, we're going to be talking to them next week, actually. (laughs) Um, So maybe I'll have to ask them this directly. But many guys fear being friend-zoned if they indicate interest in a girl, or they fear being just all of a sudden their friend group is messed up, or they have to break Mm -hmm. up out of some kind of small group or something like that because it got it's gotten all weird so what would be your advice to guys in that kind of situation like how to approach someone that they might have interest in without feeling like they're going to spend all their capital if something goes south or they're reading the signals wrong okay um i would say clarity is always best so i've called out several people because they've been interested but haven't been upfront about it and that just made it awkward for me um because then i'm wondering if I have misread things but I think a few things one your friend group or that social situation isn't going to last forever so if it gets weird then just for a few years or however long Um, but then also I think if both people are mature and really respect each other and love one another and are caring about each other as brothers and sisters in Christ then it's easier for that not to be awkward I think maturity is a big part of it those would be my two thoughts Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Just having a level head of maturity of realizing, okay, ultimately our life isn't about finding a perfect relationship. Mm -hmm. It is not putting our hope in a person, especially a man, and saying, this is what, this is what I want. But it's fully relying on the Lord in all those situations. So for the men that feel hard on themselves when a girl is like, I just don't want to date you. I just don't see you as that. I think okay, uh, you have to step away from that and realize, okay, Christ is my mm-hmm. focal point and he is so much better than this relationship and he's going to fully satisfy me more than this relationship will ever. Mm. And I think even just pursuing friendship afterwards is just really good of just like having a maturity of knowing, okay, Christ is at the center of my life and he is so much bigger than that. And I think that's like something that I've definitely taken away as I've matured and grown up. It's it's just taking a step back and saying, okay, like the Lord is above everything. And even this, though this relationship didn't work out, 
um, it is, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and you're going to find friendships that will pour into you. And, you know, maybe if the Lord wills, one day you will find a spouse. But, you know, that's not promised to us. Mm-hmm. I also think if you if you're in that position where there's a girl that you really like and you end up getting friend zoned by her or something, it's okay to grieve the loss of the hope of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to step back for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you can, get back into that relationship and enjoy being friends together. But it's okay to not need to continue that. It's okay to have some other friends too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, kind of final question here. And that's just like anything here that you would say, again, is like tips for like what what should guys stop doing? What would be your advice? If you want to just be friends, you want to keep it above board, you want to be good in this space, what's your advice to guys? Stop singling out one girl. If you want to keep it friends, don't pick one girl and offer to fix her car and fix her garbage disposal and, you know, life. Do, and fix her <laughs> life, yes. Like, okay. offer that to all of your friends. Be friends mm-hmm. with all of your friends. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who really displays that well. My friend Henry, he... Um, If he's really intentional with a lady, like, he will be very intentional with one lady. And, but when he's friends with girls, he'll, like, have a group chat of, um, like, two of us. It's me, my friend, Rachel, and Henry. And he never individually texts us because then he, like, realizes that that's very intentional. And I love how he leads his life of that, of just saying, you know, I want to love you all as sisters in Christ and as my friends. And if something were to happen of uh, my emotions change towards you, he's like, then you'd see the intentionality behind what I'm doing. And I think that's been really good to see as a friend of just having intentionality to behind everything that you do, of really just taking time to really process who you are as a person and to just engage in that with like a like someone that you're going to pursue is just be intentional and have clarity. Like we said before of just what are you expecting out of like this friendship? Could something happen in the future? But also having the expectation that if you need to step back, that's okay too. Um, I would echo the singling somebody out or just being unclear with intentions. And I don't think that friend zoning everybody is important or necessary. I think sometimes it can make things weird. Um, Like, oh, you thought about it and that's why you're saying this. I've never thought about it. So that's why I didn't say anything. Um, But I think the singling people out because that has just led to, that can lead to awkwardness and hearts not being protected and people getting the wrong impression. So I would echo that group chats, good group activities, good. And just equality of teaching i mean there christ says that there's no partiality so if you're displaying partiality then be more like christ yeah, that's good Amen. <laughs> yeah i guess i would just add you know men who are listening make guy friends mm-hmm. and be yeah. very purposeful about that because it's probably going to be easier for you to make female friends because women are very relational they're going to be very communicative and whatever but that's not reality and that's probably not going to help you in the long run so go for the harder relationship which is probably getting some good guys in your life and really developing those deeper and then you won't allow women to slide into that space um, where it's very easy to do that so ladies thank you so much for your insight i appreciate it thank you yeah, thank you thank you not just a thing up in the sky a sweet by and by no no not just a set of pearly gaze Heaven is here, heaven 
folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, which is actually going to turn into two weeks. We love it when we can convince our guests to stay with us so we can kind of get deeper into the material. And this week is no exception because we are talking to kind of a local yokel. Um, (laughs) He is a pastor at New Life Church here in Colorado Springs, which... How long has New Life been around? 36 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, 36 years. So we know some of you weren't alive. You don't even need to write into me and tell me that. It's all good. Um, but a huge ministry up there, and they've now um, planted other churches in the region and beyond, and so just cool things there. Um, Daniel Grothy is now the author. Uh, his newest book is titled The Power of Place, Choosing Stability in a Rootless Age, which, hello, grab a cup of tea or coffee or whatever and listen in because so many of you are always like Lisa tell me I should I take this new job should I move away from my family should I move to go date or try dating this guy that I met online whatever we're always looking for something new and trying something new and uh, Daniel says hey you know, sometimes that's cool, whatever, but let's evaluate why we're doing the things we're doing and what that looks like. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for having me. So great to have you here. Um, Okay, well, I want you to kind of kick off with the story because you've had, you know, it's not like you've been at New Life forever and or haven't had other irons in the fire um, (laughs) with stuff going on. Um, You do, in fact, I want to mention not only, you know, in your role as one of the pastors at New Life, you actually pastor one of their evening Mm -hmm. services and have been involved with young adults for a long time there. Talking to a lot of people in this stage of life, having coffees, sharing meals. I, I, I get it. I'm 39 years old and I'm very involved in the conversation on in this moment that we're living in, that is this moment of wanderlust. Mm-hmm. And so, let, yeah, let's have that chat today about yeah. the power of place. Well, and it's so big because if we think back, you know, I mean, again, we'd, we'd have to even go back prior to our parents and grandparents' generation. I mean, you think back in the day when people were tied to farms and ranches and or a career that spanned 40 years where they just stuck with the same company or whatever, this wasn't really that kind of conversation back then. People were just like, I'm just going to live next to where I grew up because that's where I am. You you have to realize we're living a human experiment right now. We are the first society in history that's ever even had the option to host this conversation. Yeah, uh, you, you grew up where you grew up. You had multi generations. Still in the global south today. Yeah. You go. You go to Asia. You go to South America. You go to Africa, and you've got three generations living in one place under the same roof very often, and they're tied to their local communities. And it's only been in really the first world west in the last fifty years that we've been able to live with this illusion that we get to choose the kind of life we want to build. Mm-hmm. And and we we do it with the assumption that it doesn't matter where I am. Mm-hmm. As long as I can pay my bills and I have a roof over my head, I have what I need. Yeah. And this book is sort of challenging that narrative. And this book is looking at some of the social science and the data that's looked at the last 50 years of us living this experiment and saying, really, how's that worked out for us? Yeah. So the the book wants to ask, what is what does it look like to have a life of true riches mm-hmm. and social capital? And it's very related to having the kind of community around you and having deep roots. Just because you can pay your bills doesn't mean you're rich. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, and I think what's interesting is it seems to me, and we'll talk about this uh, a little bit as well, it seems to me that the whole digital space has opened up the world of possibilities because we, you know, I had a friend tell me not too long ago, she's like, oh yeah, well, I'm thinking of this, uh, taking this job in Morocco. Like who, (laughs) people didn't even used to know where Morocco was. Right. Now people are like thinking of just picking up and going to Morocco to work a job because she thinks that it's going to provide X, Y, Z, the next step necessary and all of this. So, okay, well, I want you to share your own story of you actually got an offer um, or you were in the running for Mm -hmm. a senior pastor position Mm -hmm. at a pretty big church that by most people's definition would be like, uh, yeah, Daniel, that makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. that's your quote unquote next step. Mm -hmm. That's I'm sure where God is leading you. That's Mm -hmm. what you need to pursue. That's what you need to chase after. Talk about how that story went down and yeah. really where you settled at the end of it. So 15 years ago this week, the bottom fell out at New Life. And our church was riding high. Our pastor was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. And and we got uh, Mel Gibson flying in on a private jet <laughs> to release the passion of the Christ. And all, I mean, all the swirl and George W. Bush Skyping into our pastor's conference. So we were kicking butt and taking names, right? <laughs> Until we weren't. Okay. And the bottom fell out. We lost our senior pastor to a really salacious scandal. We were heartbroken. And then uh, 13 months later, we had a double murder-suicide on our campus. A shooter came on campus and shot two teenage girls, killed them in the parking lot, and then stormed in our building, got stopped by a security guard, and then took his life in our children's hallway. So our church hit the absolute bottom of the valley of the shadow of death. And we were heartbroken, and somehow by the mercy of God and through great leadership by our senior pastor Brady and so many others, we God lifted us out of it, and we got settled back in, and strength returned, and humility returned. So my phone two years ago, out of nowhere, it started ringing, and this church that if I said the name, all of us would know it. It's been kind of the one of the other iconic churches in evangelicalism in the last 50 years, and they lost their senior pastor to a salacious scandal. And they heard about this guy in Colorado Springs whose church are, also went through something like that. And they called me, and they said, we would like to know if you're interested. And I hadn't applied, and I thought, well, you know, a conversation maybe? Mm-hmm. Well, the conversation went from zero to 60 in two seconds. Mm-hmm. And they started flying us out there and interviewing us and background checks and credit checks and psychological evaluations and theological sitting in front of boards of theologians to see if I'm orthodox or not. And all of a sudden, here we are like, okay, this thing is happening. And after six months, their elders flew out here and and it was the final conversation. And they said, hey, to the future, you know, let's go. And a week later, they called me and they said, actually, psych, uh, we're starting over. So they had narrowed it down to me uh, in this long process and then said, actually, no. And so I had that sort of emotional whiplash of what the heck. And um, I grew up with this sense that, you know, Jesus has called me to change the world and, and the Great Commission and go into all the world and mix it up and let's let's have a blast doing it. And and typically what happens is no one says this explicitly, 
But you start thinking, if you're going to change the world, it's going to be with more people, with larger budgets. You're going to have a larger platform. If you want to do the kingdom work, it's always going to be bigger and more appealing, and it's going to take you to places where you're in the spotlight. And at the end of this process of uh, the, the this large church seeking me out and then it's stopping, and I find myself back here at home, what I learned was, God doesn't judge us based on the metrics of the market economy, and he doesn't judge us based on how many people we're around, but by the quality of the service of the people around us. And I realized that I didn't have to find a new place to live a meaningful life, Mm -hmm. that you can stay, you can be rooted, you can live a long obedience in the same direction, in the same place, and God can take those compounding years of relational interest and change the world right where you are. Hmm. And that's so big and so different from what we've been told, because we tend to be told, first of all, what you just said, that quantity Mm -hmm. is the measure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're seeing that even more now with social media and whatever. I mean, who doesn't check their Twitter followers Mm -hmm. and see, okay, who's like this? What influencers have entered my sphere so that Mm -hmm. we can pat each other's backs and all that? And then the other thing besides quantity is I think it's always out there. There's always something else out there. And you talk about the greener grass, yeah. you know, assumption yeah. Yeah. and really a, a lie that um, we think we have to move and find a different place. Yeah. Now, where do you think, like, why we would like to think that as Christians, we don't buy into this, but we do. Yes. <laughs> I mean, why is it? That the church is no different than the world in this, Daniel. Where has this come from that we're just all really falling for this? It's in the water. Mm -hmm. It's in the cultural moment that we live in. People get paid really good money to make us dissatisfied with the lives we actually live. Mm -hmm. We we live in a culture of impermanence. Mm -hmm. The iPhones that we have, all the technology we work with is built to become obsolete within 18 months of having purchased it. They, they have repeat customers on purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, think about the generation that we're living in. In the last 50, 60 years in America, just right here in America, half of the marriages uh, are, are failing, a culture of impermanence. So these kids who are growing up in homes where you know, the thing that was supposed to be the stable thing, the, the sacred canopy under which my life grows up, mm-hmm got torn. (laughs) It got destroyed. And so uh, all of our institutions are moving, it feels like. It feels like we live in a culture that that makes impermanence, it's like built into the system. And so we, uh, we're, yeah, we follow Jesus, but we live in the world that we live in, and we're hearing the messages. We're seeing 2,000 images a day put in front of us, and these images very often are meant to make us dissatisfied with the friendships we have, with the homes we live in, with the cities we live in, with the amount of money we make, with the clothing that's in our closet, my life doesn't measure up Mm -hmm. to all those other beautiful lives out there. Mm -hmm. And so what do we want to do in that moment when we realize we're so ordinary? We want to transcend. We want to rise. We want to become more. And very often we think that to become more or to live a meaningful life, we have to find a new place. So we just have to interrogate the moment we're living in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to interrogate the, the way we're taking in the world and ask really critical questions of, 
is, are the rhythms that I'm living in making me dissatisfied with the kind of life that Jesus has actually planted me in? Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, I need to guard against that. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because I was talking to someone a couple months ago about the whole idea that, you know, of of all the the eras in history that Jesus could have come. I mean, if he came now and had just threw down a Twitter account or whatever and just <laughs> started like going it. on some speaking circuit and jet setting <laughs> everywhere, you know, yeah. it would be a different experience. Yet he, the God of the universe, chose to land when he did and his entire ministry was walking around yes. and staying with random people in a very small geographic area. And the people watching his life unfold said, what the heck? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we have to pay attention. This is like the power of place. This vow of stability is not us making something up. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus takes on the smallest of all prepositions, mm-hmm. of Mm-hmm. And salvation, that's thats to suggest that salvation is not sprinkled from the balcony of heaven. It's not some little ghost floating through the region of Nazareth and, and uh, you know, scattering good vibes. Mm-hmm. This is Jesus who was the word made flesh dwelling among us, walking the dusty streets of Palestine and calling people to follow him. And then as you read church history, the saints are always from somewhere. Mm-hmm. You've got Hildegard of Bingen. You've got St. Francis of Assisi. You've got Teresa of Calcutta. You've got Augustine of Hippo. We do not live lives in abstraction. The kingdom of God does not come into the world in the ether. It, it comes through people who are rooted in a particular place, who love their streets, who love their schools, who love their neighborhoods, who take care of the children wandering their street, and don't look now, but that's how salvation rushes into the world. It it comes in through our participation in the local territory. Yeah. Well, you throw out a fancy uh, term in the book. You use the word hypermobility. Mm-hmm. And talk about some of the, how we've reaped some of the consequences of being addicted to hypermobility. And mm-hmm. the, and I mean, what you're saying. Now, first of all, someone is going to be listening and being, you know, they're going to say, uh, Daniel, this is easy for you to say. You live, you're Daniel of Colorado Springs. Yeah. I'm like in the middle of Iowa. Yeah. Or I, <laughs> and and they're just like, my place is lame, or I'm in a, I'm with family members that I am in a lot of conflict with, or I'm in a church that I just can't minister in, or there's conflict yeah. here or whatever, and everyone's going to look at their own experience and think that it's not good. But talk about that idea of like reconciling the fact that, okay, yeah, maybe this isn't some utopia. Yeah. But also the fact that constantly looking for a new place and bouncing around so much actually has real consequences. Right. So the first dimension, I'll just say all of our lives are limited. Hmm. And we assume, again, because we live in our stories and we're enmeshed in our own details, we assume that we are the ones that have broken down limited lives that are boring. And then everyone else out there is locked in. People who live in Colorado Springs, oh, if I lived at the shadow of Pikes Peak, I would, <laughs> mm-hmm. my life would be locked in too. No. Mm-hmm. All of our lives are limited. All of our relationships are limited. We have constraints. Uh, my wife, Lisa, married me, and I married her because of certain things. So, gosh, she comes from the family. She comes from, she's just this woman of God. She's, she worked hard in school. She's just so elegant, all this stuff, all the because ofs. 
But you know what? Lisa also married me in spite of. Hmm. I will never be Tim the Tool. I'll never be like this super handy guy, Bob Vila meets Jesus, who can fix anything. And, you know, when the toilet gets jacked up, I, I will call a plumber <laughs> because there are things I cannot do. Lisa married me because of some things and in spite of a lot of things. And all of us in our local places, we have because ofs. You know, the blessing of having, you're living in the middle of Iowa, using your example. You got grandma down the street who you can pop in on at lunch and hear the family story and share. Because of, blessing. Mm -hmm. But you also live there in spite of. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that the central Iowa will never be able to be for you. And you have to ask yourself the question, is that okay? But But you have to do it with the understanding that wherever you go, there will be because ofs. And there will be in spite of. Mm-hmm. There is no one utopian existence. There is no one new Jerusalem that if you just run down to it, I'm going to run to Austin and I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm going to go to New York. No, there will be some because of and there will be plenty in spite of. And all of us have that wherever we are. So that's the first dimension. Now, the cost of our hypermobility, it's interesting. And I want to just preface this by saying I'm not pointing any fingers and I'm not picking examples to attack. So please, I'm saying this with all generosity of spirit and humility, right? We are the richest society in human history. And we may be the most emotionally and relationally bankrupt society in history. Just because our pockets are deep doesn't mean we're living rich lives. And we have to ask, okay, so 75 years ago, it was normal to live in a town that all of your family lives in. And you've got the social web of relationships, what what psychologists call social capital. You're rich because auntie so-and-so is down the road and she can help you with your kids when life gets difficult. And you're rich because grandma and grandpa are looking out for you. And so you're, you're in mesh, you're growing up in this web of relationships. We don't really have that anymore the way we're bouncing around. And so we have to ask, why are we so anxious? Why are we so depressed? Why are we so addicted to alcohol? And why are we gorging ourselves on entertainment? What, like, So yeah, we have more money than ever, but you have to look at the rest of the data to see if we're actually rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, the cost of hypermobility, I think we can find in paying attention to the addictions mm-hmm. that our society it, it, we're so used to, in the medication that we're having to take. And again, I say that with all humility. Some of us need good help. And, and so if your psychologist or psychiatrist is absolutely, by all means, without any shame, you receive the blessing of that help. But many of us are medicating something that is a deeper issue. We're just sad. We're just lonely. We've lost the gift of our family and our friends and the web of relationships that catches us when life gets difficult. And we find ourselves in a city all by ourselves. And so because we don't have the thing we need, we resort to other ways of medicating. Yeah. So this is kind of in in tandem with it just in the last uh, minute or so that we have here. But um, because we're going to get into more of this next week, y'all. But the whole idea, I'm, I'm struck too by the idea of not only place, but also, I don't know if I would call it position or almost the way we over-spiritualize it now is passion. Mm-hmm. And this idea that 
it's no longer okay to just be that plumber that you're going to call. It's no longer to okay to just get married and have kids and serve God in your church and stuff like that. You have to be constantly looking for and doing bigger and better and more connected and more and go to, I mean, how many more seminars can we go to on how to figure out our personalities and influence people and do leadership? What give an encouragement to a young adult, Daniel, who's just like, you know what, I have an accounting degree and I'm just trying to work my job and figure out what does God have for me Mm -hmm. where I am? We have forgotten the blessing of being appropriately boring. (laughs) Yeah. We, again, live in this adrenaline-filled age that says if you're going to be successful, it's going to be beautiful and gorgeous and airbrushed and airtight and everything's going to work all the time and you're going to go to all the social events and the galas and dress up and have people take pictures of you and likes, 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 likes. If you read church history, the saints who have made a mark on the planet have been appropriately boring. They live regular routines. They get up in the morning. They go to their little villages and get their little daily breakfast or their coffee and they walk the streets. Every major contribution in church history has been unspectacularly local. Yeah. It's been small. At Mother Teresa, she would have people fly to Calcutta, and they, oh, my goodness, the missionaries of charity, you're changing the world, and I'm just an accountant. <laughs> you know, the missionaries of charity, you're feeding the poor, and I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And she would see, she wrote about this, she would see wanderlust come up in people's eyes. And this, like, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to make the big sacrifice. And she said, in essence, these people were trying to use me and our organization to find more meaning in their lives. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to serve the poor. They wanted to be more important. Mm -hmm. And she said almost almost 100% of the time she would send people back home. You cannot stay here. Go back. And she said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So I think it's time for us to fall back in love with the blessing of being appropriately boring. Yeah, that's good. And not that this sounds boring at all, but uh, when we return next week, I'm going to ask, I mean, I found out that Daniel is like in this region, like living on a farm with family members and friends, which I think on some levels sounds horrifying. Um, (laughs) But there is something that God is doing in and through him with that, in addition to being a pastor and stuff. And so um, let's uh, circle back next week, if you're willing to. I would love to. Okay, to that point, y'all, I want you to know about the book we've been talking about is The Power of Place, Choosing Stability in a Rootless Age, uh, talking with Daniel Grothy here. And uh, this book, you guys, we want to make available to you uh, here at Boundless for a gift of any amount. So you're just going to go to boundless.org. You can even search for 721. That's this week's episode. And uh, you'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. Give a gift to Boundless, which you know you already love and you want to support us, especially because, hello, we're heading into the end of the year. And so we're planning stuff for next year. So just do that. And we're going to send Daniel's book to you as our thank you. So uh, go ahead and get it done. Have it ready, you know, for uh, being part of the conversation next week. All right. We'll see you. When I was a kid, I was sure I could run across the ocean. Now I was going to be an astronaut. It was you and it was me I had everything I needed Faith could even move a mountaintop And then I grew up And then I got old 
Folks, as we finish out the show, we always open up our inbox, and this is where we answer one of your questions, and it could be related to relationships, it could be about career or finances, or faith questions, and this week's actually seems to have a little bit of some of the above. (laughs) So we are pulling in Jeremy Keaton. He is in charge of our counseling department here at Focus on the Family and Boundless. Jeremy, welcome. Hi, good to be with you. Thanks. Always great to have you. And so I was mentioning to you before that this is a question that I kind of get in different forms often here at Boundless from our ladies, and it kind of involves personality, dating, strength, whatever. So I am looking to you to weigh in with some great advice here. So yeah, I'm glad ready to, for it. Glad to try to do that. <laughs> here we Hopefully go. Hopefully it's helpful. Here's what our listener says. She says, I am struggling to balance my work life with dating and being a biblical woman. While I love my job, I've been told by past boyfriends that the traits that make me good at my work are what harmed those dating relationships. Things like, quote, my brain never stops running, my constant need to problem solve, and being stubborn when I think I'm right. These traits also don't align with the biblical standard of letting the man lead in a marriage. It has been suggested that I either need to find a more traditional job that does not use these skills or find a way to turn these traits off when I'm at home. I don't think the latter is possible, and I don't want to do the other option. Is there a way to serve God, have good relationships, and not suppress who I am? Hmm. hmm. <laughs> biblical woman. Um, that's that's the phrase here she's using, and I, I think we just kind of hit the brakes here for a moment. Um, I want to affirm feminine strength. I'm married to a wonderful wife, strong, capable, forward-moving, gifted, and, um, you know, I I think it's really important that we not overly limit the definition of femininity by a stereotype that's not rooted in Scripture, actually. And some of the things that are kind of baked into this question seem to me, in listening to it, kind of make some assumptions that um, are, well, frankly, I would say incorrect um, about the limitations around how a woman walks out her Christianity, her her role in a marriage. And men and women, of course, are, are created different, but equal. And yes, they're complementary by God's very, very design physically and in many areas, but there's a rigidity um, that you don't want to get caught into about how that complementary nature between men and women has to look. There is a lot of individuality, flexibility from couple to couple, and still in a biblically-centered marriage, a marriage of mutual submission to one another, uh, mutual submission to Christ and orderliness that is biblical. And sometimes extra biblical or stereotypical or cultural things will get mixed into that. 
in a way that uh, is burdensome. And I'm um, a little saddened for um, this questioner that she is carrying such um, maybe a burden from some bumps and bruises from maybe previous um, relationships that she thinks now she must edit herself in some way. I, I would say don't ever turn off any traits that are truly part of how God made and gifted you or your personality. Uh, yes, feel free to think introspectively, examine yourself, be shapeable, malleable if you think something is, is sinful or idolatrous or out of balance in in the way you're acting and it's limiting some of your your dating or how you're being perceived or how you're able to interact in relationships. Of course, be introspective about those things, but don't squelch yourself in a false stereotypical sense just be very careful how you define the concept, um, perhaps too rigidly, about what biblical womanhood is. Um, it reminds me of a resource we have, um, Fierce Women by Kimberly Wagner, and a companion resource may interest this person, Men Who Love Fierce Women, is the companion resource and book in our online bookstore. We even had a a broadcast through the flagship program here, Focus on the Family, where the husband and wife spoke together, and it was titled Harnessing Your Strength to Transform Your Marriage. That would be the perspective that I would encourage uh, this individual turning to rather than just pursuing uh, this question from the standpoint of some of those assumptions that are there. Know yourself, be yourself, be shapeable, be malleable, be open to the Spirit's work in your life. If there are things you really do need to change that might open doors and relationships for you, uh, be true to the gifts, though, the way God has created you. And then seek out a compliment for that uh, and a somebody who understands that and shares ministry with you in that as you seek a marriage partner. Yeah, that's very good. And I like what you said, Jeremy, about the being open to the spirit and being shapeable in that, because I feel like if I were to insert myself on this date or these dates mm -hmm. <laughs> that this woman has been on, I'm like, there is a difference between I, I, I always hesitate when individuals attribute flaws within people to personality or to gender or whatever and saying, you know, well, you're too much this or you're not enough that and stuff. All of us are sinners and all of us need to grow, obviously. But I don't think it's because, I mean, I'm just wondering like what, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall with these guys just saying like, well, you know, here's why our dating didn't work out because you share too many opinions or you, and so that's concern. I don't want her to take that. And that's why I like what you said about, you know, always you know, we're not off the hook from just being a jerk or being unaware of our own, you know, how we're coming across and stuff. But at the same time, how we're uniquely made is something that we should celebrate. So that's right. good. Yeah. It is. Well, thanks yeah. much, Jeremy, for weighing in on that. Folks, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org and we can answer your question in the future. Of course, if we have already answered a question that uh, maybe you have in your head, you can search boundless.org and see what we have addressed in the past. And meanwhile, uh, follow us on social and tell your friends because we like building the community that we have here. Well, that's it for this week's show. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.